Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. Welcome in for a episode of the Pyromaniac podcast. We got a little bit of a different setup today. Uh, it is just me, Stag Party, joined by Mike Taglier of Fantasy Pros. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen Mike. We met at the fantasy football meetup, uh, Pyromaniac, and a bunch of other people came to in Chicago last year. That was a good time, and we're going to talk some good times and some football right now. So welcome on, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Happy to be here. Uh, we were just talking a little bit before the show and the fact that, you know, I, I'm off a week vacation. Like we went up to Lake Geneva. So uh, I got back and uh, I had just been itching to research more football. And I, I know a lot of people think that's crazy after how much uh, research has gone in this offseason. But seriously, I, I live and breathe this stuff. I, I just can't wait to talk some football, man. Yeah, I'm definitely there with you. Uh, this is show 312 or, or 312 for a couple of Chicago guys doing the show, which is a little bit interesting and funny in its own right. Uh, we're going to call this the quarterback quandary. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, as many quarterbacks as we can get to, but we're going to, you know, sort of aim for 30, 32, talk about most of the fantasy relevant starters. But before we get into that, let's just talk about some Scott Fishbowl. SFB eight is going on right now. It is a 900 person fantasy football league with uh, various different league setups with copies of players and such. I, I know a lot of people are involved in it. It is a super flex. So it gives a little bit more emphasis on the quarterbacking position. So how are you sort of treating that uh, in drafts, you know, in super flex style leagues, Mike, what's your overall approach? You know, what's funny is that there was a lot of people running like mock drafts uh, for SFB and just trying to get ready for it. And I, I didn't do any of the mock drafts. And the reason I, I don't is just because I kind of feel like it's going to be different in every single division, depending on the people that you're drafting with. There are certain two QB guys that have more experience in the format. There's certain guys that do projections that they kind of know what each player is worth. And I, I have my set of projections. All I have to do is plug in the league settings and then I have that. But uh, with mine, I figured I was going to have to take my first quarterback in the second round just because I thought it was going to be quarterback heavy. But by the time it got to me at my pick at 2-8, uh, there were just two quarterbacks off the board. So I ended up taking my quarterbacks in the fourth and fifth rounds. I got Cousins. <laughs> I was kind of shocked to get Cousins as in the fourth round. I own. I don't think I own any Kirk Cousins in best ball right now just because he goes a little bit – he's a little more pricey than I'd like him to be. And uh, I got Andrew Luck as the 16th quarterback off the board in the fifth round. So I'm – in a tournament like this, where you kind of have to take some chances in order to beat, you know, 720 or whatever, how many teams it is this year, uh, you kind of have to take some chances. So I figured with luck, I, I would take the max upside with the 16th quarterback. Yeah, I was also on luck. I've recently, you know, written a lot about it, uh, about how he's one of the more pivotal players in fantasy football this year. His outlook nearly changes that whole team, sort of changes the division uh, itself uh, and how that race can look. So he's an, a super interesting player, and Cousins, I'm a lot higher on than most other people. I think I've got him in my top uh, five or six quarterbacks. 
because I don't think they're going to be that pass heavy with, you know, or that run heavy with Filippo in place of Shermer this year. You got Kirk Cousins. You got these two studs on the outside. Um, Kyle Rudolph there over the middle. And then, you know, the pass catching compliment of Latavius Murray and Dalvin Cook brings a, a lot to that position. So Kirk Cousins is definitely somebody I'm going to be higher on. Uh, but let's just start, you know, uh, besides that, are you one of the wait on quarterback at all costs or you you wait till there's a point when it's like, hey, Aaron Rodgers now here in the fifth round. I'm yeah. probably going to do a little bit of that. Yeah, I'm definitely one of those guys, but it, it's almost like Rodgers are bust in a way because like I'm not I'm not going to reach for someone like Cam Newton, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, nothing like that. And those guys, like a lot of industry drafts, people will look at those and they'll think, oh, wow, I can get, you know, if I can get uh, Tom Brady in the fifth, sixth round, I'll do that all day. But in your home league, that's never going to happen. And, and so that's why I try and pay attention to ADP and where these players are being drafted. And like Deshaun Watson, I'm never going to touch him considering he's being drafted right next to Rodgers. But I'd consider Aaron Rodgers at like the um, if it, in like the middle to the end of the fourth round. That's when I would actually consider Aaron Rodgers because I believe he's in a t- tier by himself. Outside of him, though, I'm pretty much waiting. But there is such a thing as waiting too long on the on the late round quarterback approach. So like if you land a guy like Cousins, like I said, uh, if you land him a round or two later than you necessarily probably would have wanted to, uh, that's when you kind of you're just like okay, the value's there, I'll take it. Two quarterback leagues are a little bit different where it's uh. Uh, you kind of have to play the draft and, and I, that's the kind of the, that's the way I am with most drafts, whether it be a mock, whether it be a real draft is I don't ever go in with one re- like real strategy. Uh, I've done an, enough mock drafts to know who should be where, but you kind of have to take the draft as it plays out because like in my draft here, in the Scott fishbowl running backs were flying off the board. So I had to grab Ronald Jones as my RB two, while someone like Josh Gordon was still on the board, Demarius Thomas was still on the board, but knowing that there were still quite a few wide receivers that I'd be okay with, I was like, I should probably reach to grab my running back here because by the next time it comes back to me, I'm going to be screwed. So it it really just depends on the league you're in. And I I say it all too often is know your league, know who you're playing with, know their tendencies and, and draft, you know, in accordance to that. Yep. I'm basically the same way. So it's know your league, know your rules, know your opponents. And mm-hmm. then you sort of got a great little setup. Uh, you know what their tendencies are. You know who's going to be the Green Bay Packer homer and, and go early on those guys. You know who you know uh, loves their sleepers. Like, I'm going to draft eight sleepers in a row, and I'm going to draft them earlier than you will. I'm like, okay, you can go ahead and do that. You know the guys <laughs> like their wily old vets like, John Gruden playing in fantasy leagues. Oh yeah. They all exist. There's a type for everybody. Um, but, but I play in a pretty similar strategy. I, I've always preached using tiers. And then when you see a drop off in a tier, you know, that's when you can reach and grab a guy there and then wait for that depth that maybe wide receiver, because you know, after wide receiver 20 or so, we're not really going to focus on that today, but after wide receiver 20 or so, is there a major difference between wide receiver 20 and wide receiver 45. Like you can make a compelling argument for all of those guys to be a you know back end wide receiver too. I completely agree with you. Honestly, I think I actually feel that way. Once you get outside like uh, Doug Baldwin area, Doug Baldwin, Mike Evans, once you get past those guys, it's up in the air, man. Like, like Amari Cooper, I, I it's, it's tough to say how you feel about him. I got like Allen Robinson coming off an ACL Tyreek Hill. I'm not a huge fan of just cause I believe there's some real regression, some target regression, maybe even T Y Hilton. You don't know if Andrew Luck's going to have the deep ball, Stefan Diggs. While I love the talent, absolutely love the talent. 
you don't you don't know if he's going to get the target share he needs to get into that top 10 so there, there's a lot of question marks outside the top you know 10 or 11 wide receivers so that's that's I can make the case for a lot of guys yeah yeah, I'm sort of with you uh, 100% there. So let's go back. Let's go through some quarterback rankings. Let's talk Aaron Rodgers. You said he's in basically a tier of his own for you. Uh, that makes a ton of sense to me. He's my number one quarterback as well. When healthy, he's just a lock to finish it as uh, basically a top three passer. Uh, the run game, while better and deeper than it ever has been, it's still not a giant threat to suddenly become a 20 rush touchdown team. Uh, so he's going to be throwing the ball in the red zone. He's got Jimmy Graham, who was the red zone leader in targets last year. He's got Devontae Adams, who was uh, over the last two years has more touchdowns than anybody. Uh, and then combine that with Randall Cobb and then a lot of interesting pieces they added at wide receiver in the draft. That makes him sort of a lock for me. Plus, he's going to give you just enough as a rusher that it's a little cream on top of the crop. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. That's it's just the icing on the cake or whatever you want to call it. But uh, Aaron Rodgers, he's just the safest thing for me in fantasy football. And I am concerned about like the continuity of the offense because, you know, losing Jordy Nelson obviously is going to hurt. I don't think people realize that. Like if you go back to when Randall Cobb was asked to step forward and be the number one in the offense, he didn't do so well. And I think it's just because Aaron Rodgers runs like a machine. And, and I say that like my my take on Rodgers is that he's the best quarterback I've ever seen play the game. Um, like I don't, you can't say he's the greatest of all time because he hasn't accomplished it yet. Like, but if he goes and continues in this path, he's the most talented quarterback of all time. I will say that. Uh, but he also relies a lot on timing, trust and confidence in his, in his pass catchers. So the reason I'm not necessarily like loving the whole Jimmy Graham thing is Jimmy Graham has traditionally not been like a, a strong hands guy. Well, he's, he has strong hands, but he's been a go up and get it. Like you could throw me a jump ball. Like Russell Wilson was kind of doing, you know, treating him in the red zone is that the big target. Aaron Rodgers doesn't do that. And I think that's why we've never seen tight ends have like massive touchdown numbers with Rodgers, even though he's throwing for 35 plus touchdowns every single year. I think it's why Martellus Bennett struggled last year. It's just they, he was getting the targets. It's just they struggled to get on the same page because they hadn't worked together. Jimmy Graham, it, you know, we, we talk about tight ends and the fact that someone like Antonio Gates, Jason Witten, these older guys, Tony Gonzalez, even these older guys that were able to hang around a tight end. We think that Jimmy Graham and Rob Gronkowski are going to be like that. But here's the deal. They're not like that. They're a different breed. Like Jimmy Graham is the size of Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson left the game younger than Jimmy Graham is right now. And he did that because he said his body started to break break down. Jimmy Graham started coming back from a, a, a brutal knee injury that nobody even expected him to come back from. He was really inefficient last year with Russell Wilson. Even towards the end of 2016, he started tailing. So I'm not excited. Uh, Devontae Adams has a tough schedule. I love Devontae Adams as a player. I like Geronimo Allison. I think bottom line is that Aaron Rodgers is going to get it done one way or the other, but I don't know if the ceiling is as high as I would necessarily love because if I knew Aaron Rodgers was going to click on all cylinders with every single guy in this offense, I would make the argument that he belongs in the discussion at like the end of round two, beginning of round three, because he's that good. But uh, their, their defense is also getting better too. They, uh, they drafted quite a few cornerbacks and um, I think there'll be a better defense in 2018, which should lower the ceiling just a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree with you on a lot of the points. Uh, my thing is Aaron Rodgers just has that little magical touch. Oh, yeah. He's got that back shoulder, you know, fade down, back shoulder throws. we got to see if there's a player who can step into that role. Right. Who's going to be his little safety blanket along the sideline that always seems to make those type of plays? Because now he is without Jordy, and that's something we've, you know, really never seen from Rodgers. Um 
My my number two quarterback personally uh, is going to look a lot like Wilson. It is uh, my main concerns with Russell Wilson. This is going to sound really stupid, but it, it's sort of age. When we talk about it um, for, for running backs, they hit this 29, 30-year-old season, and they slow down as rushers. Mm-hmm. Uh, rushing has been a big uh, component of Russell Wilson's game. How is that going to play long-term? And it might not be this season, but there are other concerns, you know, losing Jimmy Graham, losing Paul Richardson, no one really stepping up uh, and them not drafting anybody, you know, in the draft at wide receiver. So going in with, you know, Amara Darbo and then adding, you know, Brandon Marshall, who's a question mark in his own right. Mm -hmm. What, what, what is the outlook for Russell Wilson in your eyes? I love Russell Wilson. He's also my number two quarterback. Uh, the thing is, is like, again, you, you, when you talk about ceilings, you, you just mentioned it. His pass catchers outside of Doug Baldwin are very, very questionable at best. I don't think Amara Darbo is ready to walk into 100 targets. I don't think that Jerron Brown is someone that they, they anticipate seeing 100 plus targets because they wouldn't have signed Brandon Marshall if they felt really comfortable. He's also becoming a part of a new offense, which you have to kind of figure out. Um, Brandon Marshall, I don't know if he makes the team. If I'm being honest, I don't think Brandon Marshall's in football shape. I think he's done. Uh, I thought he was done before last year. So I'm not that, – that's the the worry. But Russell Wilson has done it with with really bad casts before. I mean, Jermaine Curse was his number two for a long time, and he made it work, finishing as a top-10 quarterback essentially every season in the league, top three a lot of times. His rushing yardage, I'm not too worried about it going down. Just the reason is is because of the way he's built. He's a very compact man. <laughs> he's 5'11", 200-something pounds. Like, he's not even – I don't even think he's 215 so he's very small, and those guys will tend to stick around a lot more. It's like you, you see guys like Darren Sproles and Danny Woodhead sticking around, uh, working later in life just because they're able to withstand a beating because they're just more compact. And that's how I kind of view Russell Wilson. As long as his legs are okay, like in terms of like ankles, no ankle injuries or knee injury or anything, he's going to be fine. But I think they need Nick Vanette to step up, and that's weird to say. Uh, I like Nick Vanette. I liked him as a prospect, and I think he could potentially be the leading tight end for them. But um, – yeah, the weapons are, are concerning. It's also concerning that Brian Schottenheimer is the offensive coordinator. Uh, he's just he's not a good play caller. So I, I say it all. Yeah. I say it all the time. I say coaching absolutely friggin'lutely matters. And the people that want to talk about how scouting is overrated and that it doesn't work all the time and that it's a it's hit or miss. I, I don't think there's I don't think that's all true. I, I think that there is value in scouting, and I think that the reason a lot of players struggle is because they fall into the wrong hands. And if you see a player you know, fall into a Jeff Fisher-led offense, people were willing to write off Todd Gurley after 2016 because he just looked bad. But then, obviously, we're having a different conversation now. So the coaching concerns me a little bit, but the, the area, the, what the, one of the pros that I will say is that Russell Wilson's pass attempts have been increasing every year, and it's because the defense has been getting worse and worse, and their defense is worse than ever right now. Like this, without Russell Wilson, this might be one, a bottom three team in the NFL. So that's, that's kind of what you have to, you know, hang your hat on when it comes to Wilson. Yeah, uh, we did talk about Schottenheimer, run-pass splits, drafting a running back in the first round, yeah. uh, them wanting to run the football when they're expecting to run the football. <laughs> All those things don't be diddly to me. If you want to play for <laughs> Russell Wilson, you open the game up, you let him run his read options, uh, play action, pass attempts from the shotgun, and he's going to pick people apart. He's been one of the best quarterbacks over the last three or four seasons and even if we want to talk about, you know, the loss of Jimmy Graham and the loss of uh, Paul Richardson, his TD rate in 2012 was 6.6. In 2013, it was 6.4. Uh, in 2014, it was only 4.4. 4. 
uh, and Richardson had just one touchdown. And then in 2015, it was 7%. And that was the season that Jimmy Graham had two scores and Doug Baldwin owned the red zone. So uh, I'm not too worried about that component. I still think he's going to throw touchdowns. Uh, I think he's going to be fine as a rusher. In Dynasty, I will you know, start to keep an eye out on aging rushers as they progress through their careers, but it's not going to be an end-all, be-all for me. I mean, I did say I have him as my number two. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, move on. Let's go to number three. Um, I-, I think for me, that is Tom Brady. Who you got? I have Cam Newton there uh, just because the floor, I believe, is better than Brady's. Um Brady, I'm only concerned about Brady is because what I saw over the final five games of the season, I know in the playoffs, he kind of turned it on a little bit and that's just what Tom Brady does. But, and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to say any like corny lines or anything like that, but Tom Brady's, he's getting old. Um, You know, there's, there's a reason that this age is like, uh, it's uncharted territory. So even though he's already made it past the 40 mark, the decline has been coming Uh, over the first 11 games last year. He threw 26 touchdowns, three interceptions. But over the final five games, which included two games against the Bills, I think there was a game against the Dolphins in there as well, he threw just six touchdowns with five interceptions, and you saw the yardage go down. He didn't top 15 fantasy points in any of those games. I think we've already started to see the decline, and I think that the Patriots are, are starting to prepare for it as well by drafting you know, a guard. I, I'm sorry, Isaiah Wynn is not playing left tackle. It's not happening. So he's a guard. He's, a, he's, he's going to be a, a solid guard. They drafted Sony Michelle in the first round. This is a team that says... Well, they know that they have a window to win now with Tom Brady, right? I think that they're they're surrounding him with things to complement him. Uh, I think Jordan Matthews was kind of like, okay, we can get him really cheap. I think that they've built this team well. Bill Belichick is obviously a great coach. Um, but I think that they're going to lean on the run game a lot more than people are expecting, which is why I love Sony Michelle this year. Yeah, over the, t- the last five games of the season, Tom Brady was the uh, 19th quarterback in four-point passing touchdown scoring. Yeah. Uh, and then people have been harping on that, you know, Tom Brady doesn't do it in the fantasy playoffs. You know, what about my fantasy playoffs for a couple of years now? And, and yeah, that might be true. And you know, the Patriots are going to be one of these teams that are at eight or nine wins by week 12 and they can throttle down a little bit. They know what they have to do to win that division, to get in the playoffs and be healthy. And part of that, a lot of that revolves around keeping Tom Brady upright and they, they will, you know, tend to lean on that run game and lean on the quick screens and you know get the ball to the running backs, um, you know, on first and second down out of Tom Brady's hands. Um, so Cam Newton is your number three. He's uh, my R number four. So we can, you know, progress straight into that. Um, you know, Cam, lots of new weapons this season, uh, whether through health or you know getting getting Greg Olson all the way back healthy, getting Curtis Samuel hopefully on the field for a full season, drafting DJ Moore in the first round, you know, adding, you know, CJ Anderson, who might not be a world beater as a receiver. He still might be uh, an improvement over uh, Jonathan Stewart at this stage in his career. Uh, You know, some improvement from Christian McCaffrey in that game uh, and, you know, some potentially better play calling, letting him attack the field vertically, under Norv Turner, we know, you know, he's done that with Philip Rivers, just lit him attack with guys like Vincent Jackson deep down the field. Uh, how do you like Norv's impact on this offense and Cam Newton himself? 
I'm kind of in the camp that thinks Norv is kind of, he's kind of been left behind in terms of, you know, it's like the older head coaches, older coordinators that are somewhat unwilling to change their ways. And it it really hurts them as time goes on because the game is changing as we know it. It doesn't change overnight, but it's slowly changing. It's turning into a different game. Uh, My biggest concern with Cam is, I've always, <laughs> I don't know how to say this, but Cam's not a very good quarterback. And I understand I haven't ranked as my number three quarterback in fantasy football, but we're talking about something different. Uh, he's not a good passer. I, I, he's, he's really not because if Cam Newton wasn't able to run for, you know, 400, 500 plus yards per season, I don't think he'd be a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's a great athlete, probably one of the best in the NFL, but that doesn't mean that he's going to succeed at quarterback. That's my concern with him is that he's ultra inconsistent. Uh, he, he rides on confidence. He's someone like where if he gets off to a rocky start, he's going to have a really bad game. He's not going to really bounce back from that. Uh, but if he's riding a confidence, you want to start him because he'll blow up. <laughs> he has more like, you know, boom games than probably just as much as Aaron Rodgers does. Uh, Russell Wilson, he's in that conversation. So you get the high floor with him. That's why I have him at number three, just because you get the floor of the rushing. And if he decides to get in, you know, if he starts getting some confidence, getting Greg Olson back, having DJ Moore to throw to. Okay, I could see this happening. You know, he's finished as a top five quarterback, I think, four times in his career. So he's been there before. I just think that I think he's safer than Brady at this point in time. And I know that sounds odd, (laughs) but I just think where I'm at with Tom Brady, I'm expecting some regression with him. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Cam Newton, they, you know, shackled him tight at the beginning of the season. His yards per attempt was down, his average depth Mm -hmm. of target down, his, you know, average number of uh, rushing attempts was sort of down. And then sort of over the last couple weeks of the season, you know, last eight weeks, they unleashed the shackles, uh, the rushing game. And just the last five games, Cam Newton rushed for 290 yards, Mm -hmm. which was uh, 123 more than any other quarterback in the league. Uh, They just let him loose. And I think at this point they realized the error of their ways in a little bit. You can't completely protect Cam. You just have to let Cam be Cam, and that's when your team is going to have the most success. Exactly. Yes, that's that's the thing. Is like If I had Cam Newton as my quarterback, I would have used him exactly the way that they did in the second half of the season, trying to hide the deficiencies, use him as a rusher. Like Seriously, use him. And new, a news bit came out today talking about that. They're saying it's a make-or-break year for Cam. I I don't, I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but I, I do think that that smarter people than the average fan are on to the fact that Cam Newton is not going to survive forever in the NFL because, you know, you mentioned the age. As they get up there in age, he's a big guy, you know, 6'5", um, and I think he's 28, maybe 29. Uh, yep. So if he, you know, his body starts breaking down a little bit, what are they going to do? This guy has never completed, I think, I don't, I don't know if he's ever completed 60% of his passes. That's a problem. Um, so... I don't know. <laughs> it's it's really tough. And that's why it's like, that's why when I say Aaron Rodgers are bust, when we're talking about Russell Wilson, Cam Newton, Tom Brady, I have my concerns about these guys. I really do. And that's why I almost never end up with them just because it's like, I'll take Rodgers in the fourth, maybe if he's there, if the, the draft is going a certain way. But after that, I'm not willing to take any of these guys until we get to like the sixth or the seventh. And that's when I'll start debating it. Yeah. I mean, I just like the quarterbacks in the mid mid tier. Right. I feel like, uh, you know, the value conversation is a little bit overblown at times where how are you going to get value out of this guy in the second round, uh, especially in other positions? Like sometimes, you know, hitting value is a lot harder said than done. Um, it's more about meeting what your sort of expectations are uh, in those first couple rounds and then finding the value picks later. So that, that's one of my things uh, between 
you know, after that, this is sort of a tier that I stay out of. I'd just rather be drafting other positions while guys are drafting, you know, Tom Brady, Cam Newton, uh, even Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz, who we'll get here uh, to in a minute. Uh, I'd just rather be drafting other positions at that time, and then I'll circle back for, you know, a luck and be wrong. Or, you know, Matt Ryan or Ben Roethlisberger, I'll grab one of these guys, or, or I'll gamble. I'll gamble and I'll go Patrick Mahomes or, you know, Marcus Mariota. I just like that upside so much more than I like, you know, maybe the consistency of these guys in this round. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's hit Drew Brees. Uh, he's my fifth quarterback. I think with, you know, Mark Ingram out for the first four weeks of the season with the suspension that they're going to have to throw it a little more. I don't think they have a guy who can, you know, grind the ball, uh, early in the season, and I don't think they want Alvin Kamara to get a, a ton more touches during that time and just lean on his efficiency you know, throughout the course of the season for a four-week stretch. Uh, I think they're going to throw a little bit more. You know, Their 50% rush to pass touchdown rate, like that, I feel like that's going to flip in a big way, and his touchdown rate's going to spike back up. He's awesome in terms of efficiency. He's great out of the shotgun. He's great out of under center. Uh, when they run play action with them, this guy likes to attack deep, and he's got players to attack the field deep. In Ted Ginn, uh, hopefully Cameron Meredith can have a you know healthy recovery from his knee and provide another complimentary piece for him because they do lack weapons at the tight end position. Yeah, I, I mean, Ben Watson was there, so he knows the system. I think that was a plus, and I think a lot of people are sleeping on him yeah. this year, honestly. Um, but Breeze, I, I like it. I have him as my number five quarterback as well. Um, you know, a lot of people talked about, is he on his way down? But I didn't really see that with him. You know, when you watched Breeze, it was just a lack of attempts. Uh, he 536 yeah. attempts when, honestly, ever since 2010, he had never thrown the ball less than 627 times. So it was kind of an outlier. And unless I start seeing a trend in terms of multiple years, like if I see this year, it trends down again. Obviously, Sean Payton has changed his offense because he knows Breeze has limitations. But when you look at what Breeze did last year, he set the record for completion percentage, 72%. Highest of his career, obviously, because it's an all-time record. Highest yards per attempt since 2011. The lowest interception rate in his uh, entire career. Like it was the lowest interception rate dating back all the way to his L.A. days, or I should say San Diego days. Uh, so Breeze hasn't lost anything. The running backs, they, they overscored touchdowns last year. It's not going to happen again. Mark Ingram being suspended for the first four games. Maybe it actually gets Breeze off on the right foot. They've mentioned they don't want Kamara to get uh, double. Like they don't want to see him getting 20 carries a game. That's just not the type of running back they want him to be. And I'd argue mm-hmm. that that's right. Uh, surrounding him with Cameron Meredith, adding Ben Watson, who's an upgrade over Kobe Fleener, obviously. <laughs> Uh, Michael Thomas, another step forward in his career. The pass catchers are there, man. So um, I love Breeze. I, I don't know if he comes with the ceiling that he once did, but I, I do believe that he finishes as a top five quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I do think, you know, the return to 5,000-yard passing and, you know, a you know 40-touchdown mark is outside of his realm of possibility right now. But can he easily be a 4,500-yard passer with 30 touchdowns this season? That's that's well in the range of outcomes for him. Nope. Yep. Yeah, another guy I've got, you know, with a similar projection to the head is sort of Kirk Cousins. Uh, he's my number six quarterback. Where you got a Mike? I have Cousins at nine, and he's like he's in the same tier with Ben Roethlisberger for me. And now, I want to be clear about this. I Kirk Cousins. It's not that I don't like the quarterback because his numbers. You could put his numbers up against a lot of people in history, and they're really freaking good. The issue is that. 
we can't envision more competence or more efficiency than we saw out of Minnesota last year. Like Case Keenum, he didn't throw the ball a whole lot. Sam Bradford didn't throw the ball a whole lot, but the efficiency was top notch. So it's going to be hard to top that. Obviously, it's a new coordinator. Uh, we have Frank DiFilippo coming there. I think that matters. I, I really think it matters. And it's going to hurt some players more than others. But here's the thing. This team has turned like defense. Like they're straight up defense. They, they drafted Dalvin Cook in the second round. Obviously picked up Latavius Murray knowing that they wanted to you know, employ a heavy run game. Having Kirk Cousins is kind of like a, it's like a bonus to them. I just don't feel like it was, ne- obviously, I, I don't think it was necessary. I, they should have been in the Super They should have been in the Super Bowl last year. Yeah. If you were to kind of go through, maybe they wouldn't have beat Philadelphia, but they should have at least been the NFC championship game. And mm-hmm. they did with that with Case Keenum, a guy that literally was left for dead, that he could have been on the street. Nobody would have known if he wasn't even playing football last year. So what Pat Shermer did with the offense there, I think many are taking that for granted. Again, Cousins played really well, but I also think that Jay Gruden's offense works pretty well with Kirk Cousins' skill set. So I don't know, man. Like, he's someone I'm so torn on because I don't think the ceiling is there because the Redskins have been such a bad defense that he's been able to post these, like, buku numbers because I think he's ranked top 10 in passing attempts in each of the last three or four seasons. So do I think that's going to be the case when he goes to Minnesota? That's where I don't. And again, I just don't know if his efficiency can get any higher. Yeah, uh, I have, like, I think, you know, DeFilippo is going to, like, they were second in pe- rush attempts last year, uh, Minnesota was. So I think they're going to throw the ball a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philly was a very aggressive team passing on first and second downs. Uh, so I think they want to get Kirk Cousins in that, and they have a, a lot of guys who can run it after the catch. So it, I think it's going to be a quick strike offense that's allowing him to get the ball out of his hands. Uh, you know, they've got pass catchers at every level. And, and I think their depth at pass catcher is a little bit underrated, maybe because it was, you know, LaCron Treadwell who was overhyped. Uh, but now, you know, maybe he's a little bit underrated. You know, he, he's dead to everyone. But uh-huh. as a depth piece on an offense, uh, I think you could do a lot worse. You know, Kendall Wright out of the slot led the Bears in, you know, a lot of receiving categories last season by default. But mm-hmm. he's another – you know, Jamison Crowder slot type who I think is going to get a lot of work in the offense and provide a, you know, suitable replacement for Jarius, right? So they've got a lot of different pieces that I just think mesh well together. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I think they're going to be a team that wants to get out early and then let their defense sort of wrangle things in for them. Um, so, So I think he's up there, I mean, debating, you know, between six and nine, there's probably a six to 10 point difference in Mm. projection for me. So it's not like a big deal. Um, It's sort of a tight cluster. I just like Kirk and I think he's going to provide that sneaky. um, He always seems to score a couple rushing touchdowns that give him a little bit of boost over some of these other guys. But that's, that's Uh, a concern though, too. So like, so that's, that's one of the things that we're going to get to in a second uh, with the quarterback that's playing in Washington. Now, I think that that's what the offense allowed because they didn't have the goal line backs there and they, they designed some plays for Kirk to obviously score because he's only got one season in his entire, in his career to where he rushed for more than like 95 yards. So he's not like mm-hmm. a mobile guy. I think it had to do with play calling. Whereas in Minnesota, I don't think they're going to be doing that with Dalvin cook and Latavius Murray. That's my concern. There is like, that's why when it comes to him and Roethlisberger, I'm like, okay, so the weapons, obviously, I, I would actually tend to lean Roethlisberger on that one just because of who he's got to throw to. Uh, and the defense in Pittsburgh obviously doesn't touch that of Minnesota. Roethlisberger is a little up and down on the road, so I can understand that, 
sliding Kirk up a little bit. But that's why I have those two neck and neck where I just feel so torn on which one to rank higher between those two. Yeah, I feel uh, I, I feel that. And then one thing is, you know, Roethlisberger is good to miss a game. So, oh, yeah, well, you know, always, always on a straight projection rank. It's like, hey, goodbye, 18 points, Ben Roethlisberger, and that knocks him down a few spots. Uh-huh. But, but when he's in there, he's one of the, you know, best signal callers with a lot of touchdown upside because of those weapons. Mm-hmm. I think next we've got Deshaun Watson, who's a hot topic. <laughs> what, what, where's your stance? Uh, I'm not completely sold yet. Uh, I, I, the thing is, is, I think people are going crazy for a small, small, small sample size. Um, uh, guys, if you guys, if you were to remember towards the end of last year, you would remember that Blake Bortles was like a number one quarterback over like a four week stretch. I think it was, yeah. or five, it might even even five games. I can't remember, but we're talking about Deshaun Watson. He had, it was essentially a five game stretch where he played lights out football and do I, am I going to take anything away from him for that? No, but I, I know that we've seen, we saw Tom Brady at the end of the year look like crap. Does that mean we should judge him off those five games? Deshaun Watson, I'm concerned about his offensive line, which might just be the worst in football now. They, they didn't do anything in the draft, which was, they didn't have a pick, I think, until the third round. So they couldn't have done much, but I figured they would have at least attacked him in free agency, something. No, they did not. Um, the Texans are going to get him killed. He's coming back from an ACL, so you figure he's going to be a little bit less mobile than he was last season when he rushed for, you know, he had a couple games over 60 yards. I, uh, I don't know. I, I just think he's way too rich for my blood, and I have him, I have him at seven, which, like, in my projections, I was pretty I, – I tried to be like, okay, I'm not going to be too optimistic, but I'm not going to be as negative as I've been with him. So I was kind of, like, in between. And I wound up with him at seven in my projections. Uh, I just – the rushing is going to be there. He has some great weapons. I love Kiki QT. Uh, the addition they made with him, he should start in the slot right away. He reminds me of Tyree Kill, honestly. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not in love with Watson. I know I'm going to end up with zero of him because he's being drafted up by Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, so the next guy on the list is Carson Wentz, and we're, we're talking about the regression. And you know, Carson Wentz is another guy in a sort of similar position to Deshaun Watson, uh, we talk about touchdown rate all the time because it's something that tends to fluctuate from season to season, regress to the mean in one of the biggest ways. Uh, and, and there were a couple guys that hit big marks there last year, um, you know, between Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. How is that going to affect, you know, next season? Because I see both of those coming back down to earth a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, number of times players have like 7% uh, passing TD rates in their career. It, it, it's more rare than you definitely think. Um, and, and those two guys are going to be, you know, some of the biggest affected. Yeah, no, for sure. And I was actually going to say that is that Wentz's touchdown rate was 7.5% last year. Aaron Rodgers, who I, 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 I said earlier in the show that I consider to be the best quarterback of all time, has hit that once in his career. So it just goes to show you how ridiculous the, the season was. Like when you look at Alshon Jeffrey, if you go look, he had like a 48% catch rate, but his touchdowns were to save him and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. But if we were to dial back Carson Wentz's touchdown percentage last year to just 6%, just 6%, which is still elite. Like that's still like great numbers. Um, yeah. would, like I think Tom Brady's mark is like 5.2 for his career or something like that. Mm-hmm. He would have thrown seven fewer touchdowns and that would drop him from QB5 to QB12. Now, granted, he missed a couple games at the end of the season, but he's coming back from an ACL tear. 
You know, they didn't really add anybody of significance to the wide receiver core. Like Mike Wallace is not going to get it done for you. I'd rather see Matt Collins out there, to be honest with you. Um, So, I mean, it's just I I don't think I I don't think he can get any better than he was last year. And I I, I see only room for regression uh, in terms from a touchdown standpoint. And with with coming off the ACL, it's going to limit some of his mobility again, which is one of the strong points of his game, too. So. Again, it's just this tier of quarterbacks. It's so much risk. And among all these guys, I think Breeze is the one that I would feel most comfortable drafting. Yeah, yeah. Wentz does have, you know, that ACL tear concern. And they are sort of a spread system that lets him run and lets him run things he's comfortable with. But that could be a limiting factor, especially in the uh, beginning parts of the season, as they sort of take it easy on him. He is a younger guy who's the you know future franchise quarterback for the team. They're not gonna you know really run him out there to get hit. Like it just doesn't make sense for them. So you know Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz—they're two guys who I'm sort of just not drafting at you know the time they come up in ADP. I think I have maybe one one share in like uh, 15 best ball leagues. Uh, I've got a lot more of the next guy, Matt Stafford. Like, this is just an offense built to throw the ball. And, you know, depending on your thoughts on carry on Johnson, it doesn't really look like there's anything in the way to change that. And they've got Golden Tate, uh, Kenny Galladay, and Marvin Jones on the outside. Uh, so it's going to be a very wide receiver-centric team. And they're going to attack vertically down the field with guys like Galladay and Marvin Jones. So, you know, between the touchdowns that Stafford always seems to throw on a yearly basis because they have no real red zone dominant run back and, and the yards that come along with it, you know, th- good things always seem to come out good at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the only thing you really hope for is an increase in pace from Jim Bob Cooter because he somehow runs one of the slower paced offenses in the league, but has a quarterback who's one of the best in the league at running the hurry up. Yeah, no, Matt Stafford, he's finished as uh, in between the QB5 and QB11 in six of the last seven seasons. So you kind of know what you're getting with him. I, I will say that there is a negative to him this year. There's actually two, and they came as a package deal. Matt Patricia, who I don't love as a head coach candidate. Uh, he's another one of those defensive-minded coaches. And typically when a new head coach is brought on, I did a study on this in the offseason um, where what does coaching changes mean to a team? And uh, on average, over the last six years, uh, teams that have taken on a new head coach have averaged, I think it's 43 fewer pass attempts per season, uh, and the rushing goes up a little bit. So Stafford, Matt Patricia coming over, I like that Jim Bob Cooter stayed in place because obviously it's the same offense. However, Patricia oversees everything, right? That's why LeGarrette Blunt's there. I want to see LeGarrette Blunt cut. And actually, that was one of my bold predictions on our Fantasy Pros show today that we recorded is that LeGarrette Blunt gets cut. I don't think he fits this offense a single bit. Uh, I, I, I don't understand it. Like in Jim Bob Cooter's offense, you need a running back who can catch the ball out of the backfield. LeGarrette Blunt's not that guy. Uh, I love the draft pick of Carryon Johnson. He's a kind of do it all. He could mix in with Theo Riddick. Uh, he could do some early work. He could be on for third down, not be so predictive. But if LeGarrette Blunt's on this roster come opening day, I'm, it concerns me because it tells me that Patricia is not going to want to necessarily trust them throwing the ball on the goal line. And I think he's going to want to go with Blunt, which would really just plod the offense along. And I just don't want to see it. <laughs> That's yeah, really what it comes down to. I mean, you know what they're going to do if you put LeGarrette Blunt in the shotgun, they're throwing the ball. Uh, (laughs) If you put LeGarrette Blunt under center, they're probably going to run the ball. And it's just one of those predictable things in uh, in football in general, not even just fantasy, that that takes away from some of the edge you can get as a play caller. So I agree with uh, a lot of the points there. Next question, are you a Jimmy GQ guy? 
No, actually, um, I don't, I'm not against Jimmy G, but I am against drafting him as the a number, you know, eight or nine fantasy quarterback, which is where he's being drafted. Um, mm-hmm. I actually think that Alex Smith scores more fantasy points than Jimmy G in 2018. And uh, I know that's considered a hot take by many because Smith is, I think, the 20, 21st quarterback off the board. Jimmy G is like nine. <laughs> um, but I, I would rather take Alex Smith, especially, especially considering the prices. Yeah, I want to see if I agree with that. I do I do as well. My projections have uh, Alex Smith higher than Jimmy Garoppolo. So <laughs> one, of these things, one of these things we know about Jimmy Garoppolo is, hey, he put up big yardage. He went 5-0. and He's never lost in his career. Mm-hmm. He's going to complete a high rate of passes. Uh, mm-hmm. That's something that's you know there. But on the small sample size, he still just has a 4.4 touchdown rate. And, and you look at guys there, who's a proven touchdown scorer? I mean, Pierre Garçon's never been a great touchdown scorer. I think he's had one season above eight touchdowns in his career. Uh, you know, Dante Pettis, who they drafted, is you know a specialty player who could play all three spots, uh, but you know scored a lot of his touchdowns as a returner. You know, George Kittle comes from an Iowa offense where they just don't score a lot in general. Um, you know, Goodwin, you know, vertical deep threat who really isn't a, you know, touchdown scorer. So where are these passing touchdowns that everybody's projecting so highly coming from? Because I have no problem projecting the yardage because I trust, you know, Shanahan and Garoppolo to get that going. But scoring when it gets into the red zone, we saw it last year. They scored on a high percentage of plays, but how many of those plays were Robbie Gold kicking touchdown uh, field goals? Because if I remember correctly, and I should as the uh, number one kicker expert on Fantasy Pros last year, <laughs> uh, Robbie Gold was the uh, fifth. Uh, over the last five weeks of the season, Robbie Gold was the best kicker in the league, <laughs> fantasy-wise. Yeah, well, I believe it because Garoppolo threw like, what, seven touchdowns in those yeah. games? Yeah, uh, so my my issue with Garoppolo, and I said this earlier, I was laughing as I said it too. Um, Carson Palmer played seven games in 2017. Garoppolo played uh, in six games, even though he only started five. Mm-hmm. Carson Palmer rushed for one more yard than Jimmy Garoppolo did. Um, yeah, he had 12 yards. Jimmy Garoppolo had 11. As a matter of fact, in Jimmy Garoppolo's seven career starts, he has 15 total rushing yards. So this comes back to why should he be higher than Philip Rivers? Do you think that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be a better quarterback passer wise than Philip Rivers in 2018? That's the question that people need to ask themselves when they're considering Jimmy Garoppolo as the eighth freaking quarterback off the board. Because you, if you line him and Philip Rivers side by side, they're, they're offering zero mobility. They basically neither of the, they're both pocket passers. They're not going to go anywhere. And Philip Rivers does it year over year, yet he never breaks like the top eight quarterbacks because he doesn't have rushing totals. So mm-hmm. by drafting Jimmy Garoppolo as the ninth quarterback at the board, you're drafting him as absolute ceiling. He doesn't have a Julio Jones like Matt Ryan did in his MVP season. You mentioned this with the pass catchers. No, I, no. Jimmy Garoppolo does not belong in the top 12. Ah, I, I'm on board with this. Um, let's see. I think after Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, now I can't find the sheet. This is great. <laughs> uh, after Jimmy Garoppolo, Andrew Luck, uh, I'm going to be a little higher than consensus on, you know, ECR here. I just believe in Andrew Luck. I believe that, hey, after taking a full season off, that he's going to be back and ready to play by the time training camp comes around. And if I can draft him, you know, 
at the end of back end QB one range. Mm-hmm. I know that the offense is better suited for him. Anything that they ever ran under Chuck Pagano. I know that while the pieces might not seem there, T.Y. Hilton is one of the better wide receivers in the league. He's one of the top 10 to 15 wide receivers in the league. And he is a vertical threat that if he's able to push the ball down the field, T.Y. Hilton's a guy who's going to get open for him. Uh, I think they've got two very good tight ends as pass catchers. Now, the rest of the team is probably a question mark as pass catchers in the wide receiver core. I do think they have a, a number of good backs coming out of the backfield to catch passes. So I just trust in luck. Mm-hmm. I actually have no issue with luck. There, there's obviously a certain amount of risk that comes with him. And he's like the type of guy where if you draft luck, I, I would suggest grabbing someone else uh, to pair with him. And I know that some people are totally against drafting two quarterbacks, but I'm not. If you play in a league of competent individuals, because it's like if you get down into the, you know, we play with deep benches where it's like if you play in an 18 round draft, and you're in there in the 17th round and you see someone like Trubisky on the board, you see someone like uh, Mariota, I'd, I'd pair them with with Luck because if, if for whatever reason Luck's not what he's supposed to be, then obviously you have someone else to fall back on. But um, I, I like Luck. It, it, there's a lot of unknowns about him, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend. My worst fear, I will say this though, Anthony, my worst fear is that we get in this, this. This is, by the way, this is someone speaking like about their job. Um, this is uh, not necessarily a fear for a lot of people, but it's mine. I sleep and I dream and I wake up to nightmares about this. That Andrew Luck, that we get to the preseason, he doesn't play in the first game. Second game, he goes out there for one series, doesn't throw a single pass. Third game, he goes out there for a quarter and he throws like three balls, and we have zero idea on how to feel about him. That's my worst nightmare with Andrew Luck. I don't disagree with that. The but the unknown is what is keeping his price. Oh, you for know, sure. At such a tempting, you know, uh, ADP mm-hmm. because you know the guys going off the board before him do not have the resumes as fantasy quarterbacks of Andrew Luck. There are a couple guys we'll get to here next. Um, I've got Matt Ryan yep. as the number twelve quarterback. Uh, you know, you can make an argument for Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger. Matt Ryan all over Andrew Luck. I don't really have a great argument for you, mm-hmm. um, but I, I just think his talent elevates him. And if, if he's back healthy, I think he's going to be sort of a reckless abandoned player. And that has never been a bad thing for fantasy football yeah, um, for sure. until, until it is. <laughs> and the defense is still not very good. So uh, you oh. have that going for you. Yeah. Um, Matt Ryan, overall thoughts you want to, Jump the Sark. Love Calvin Ridley. Um, I, I don't think this was a great landing spot for his fantasy appeal because I think Calvin Ridley is like a Stefan Diggs type player. Like, I think he's that good. Um, but with Julio there, obviously it's going to hurt, but it helps Ryan. It helps Matt Ryan. I think he's going to be a little more consistent. They've talked about Sarkeesian, about changing things that they were trying to be too, almost too much in line with Shanahan's ways and he felt restricted in what he was able to do. Uh, and I, I don't think you could ever copy a coach. I think you have to do your own thing and, and go with it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, you shouldn't be a coordinator. So I, I like Matt Ryan. I have him as my QB 11. I have him right in front of Luck actually right there because I think he's a little bit safer. Him and Stafford are like the quarterbacks that I just feel like they're like at the, the, the tail end of the QB one conversation. And they're the ones that I never feel great about drafting. Like, I don't feel like I'm going to win anything because they're on my team, but I also know that I'm not going to lose anything because they're on my team. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Like, uh, you don't feel like you're, you know, just, oh, I won this draft. I've got so right. much upside. Yep. But you know they're going to be there for you week in and week out. Uh, you know, Calvin Ridley is going to provide, you know, at the very least, 
he's going to be an improvement as a vertical seam stretcher and vertical outside threat that Taylor Gabriel may not be. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor Gabriel seems like a screen or bust type player. Now you have a guy who can do those things, but also attack vertically down the field, and that'll give you know Matt Ryan chances for more of those deep shots that he excelled at uh, under Shanahan. So I, I like the fit for Ryan. I agree with you from that uh, standpoint. You know, Julio, we talk about the touchdowns. It's all we ever fucking talk about, but he's got four <laughs> – He's got four 1,400-yard seasons. There's only one guy in the league who's ever had more. Um, His touchdown rate was completely outside of the norm. Like, no player in the history of the NFL has had a 1,400-receiving-yard season and less than five touchdowns. So, hey, he should have had a couple more at least. And then – but he he never finishes as a top three wide receiver. If you look at the landscape of the NFL and tell me Julio Jones is not a top three wide receiver, I don't believe anything you say. I and Julio Jones is is my favorite receiver in the NFL, and I, that's no slight to Antonio Brown. I think Antonio Brown's phenomenal. I've been a fan for a long time, but Julio Jones does things a man that's six three and two hundred thirty pounds is not supposed to do. Like he's just uh, he's a specimen, and uh, I think that he's made Matt Ryan look a lot better throughout his career. And it's not to say that Matt Ryan's a bad quarterback at all. Um, I think he's just an average quarterback. I think he's competent. And yeah. I think Julio Jones has made him look better. Yeah. Uh, ben Baldwin actually uh, released a study uh, about how he thinks since 2015, Matt Ryan's been better than Aaron Rodgers. Huh. You know, we won't get too deep into that, but uh, it's an interesting read uh, if you've got some time. Uh, after Matt Ryan, I got Phillip Rivers um, You know, locked in, man. If you're getting this guy – you don't think he has like weekly upside. Like people say that all the time. And I'm like, he had 11 top 12 weeks last year in 16 games, 69%. That was tied with guys like guys tied with top Tom Brady and Russell Wilson. Mm -hmm. He will give you those boom games, but yeah, he does. When he has a stinker game, it is one of the, it's like Joe Flacco on a regular day. (laughs) Oh man, the loss of Hunter Henry hurts. Um, and the fact that they have not brought in another tight end, it really hurts because Rivers is the type who's who's kind of leaned on the tight end for such a long time. Um, hopefully Mike Williams can stay healthy through training camp so that they can develop some chemistry between those two. Because I think Mike Williams needs to become that go-to red zone target because he doesn't have it because Virgil Green is not going to be it. And they don't have anybody else. I actually came up with a trade idea the other day. Um, Max Williams, I think that the Ravens should trade Max Williams to the Chargers. Um, they have no, no use for him. He's supposedly on the roster bubble. And I think the Chargers, they, they don't want to go back to Antonio Gates. That's my concern is that there's not just the, the familiarity with, with Rivers. You know, Keenan Allen, obviously he's there. He's going to perform. Tyrell Williams is fine. But Mike Williams, they haven't had a chance to do that. His, he doesn't have a tight end anymore. Uh, Melvin Gordon, they, signed, they drafted Justin Jackson. Austin Eckler has been a little bit bigger part of the game plan. I don't know. I, I mean, Rivers is like that that dinosaur that never changes. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, you could look at his fantasy game logs, and he's like in between 250 and 285 points, like every single friggin' year. So he's like a, di- he, but he doesn't evolve. The fantasy points keep going up, but he doesn't. That's why he's slowly shifting down to where he's like right on the teeter totter of that that QB one range. He doesn't give you anything rushing. It's like I said, it's like Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I do worry about the offense and the, the fact that their defense is might just be on the neck. They might be right behind Jacksonville in terms of defenses that are on the come up that are lights out. Like they may not have to throw the ball as much anymore. Yeah. The the one thing like 
on relying on the tight end. Since 2006, the lowest uh, the tar- Chargers have targeted the tight end is 19.4% of their targets. Yeah. And 105 targets. Like, Virgil Green has a high of 37 career tar- or 37 targets in a season. Yeah. But there is a void missing there that mm-hmm. maybe it means that the wide receivers are getting a giant share more, but it's more likely that it's going to the running backs between Eckler and Gordon than it is going to these wide receivers. But there, the wide receivers should also see a slight uptick, and that makes Tyrell Williams one of my, you know, ultimate go-to plugs, um, especially in best ball drafts. Yeah. Yeah, I think Mike Williams is someone you could look to is that um, because like obviously they drafted Mike Williams with Tyrell on the roster. Uh, They only gave Tyrell, I think, a one year extension, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I could be wrong. Like so many numbers going through my mind. But Tyrell is not like the go up and get it guy where it's like I I have a feeling that Mike Williams, it would not shock me if he scores eight touchdowns this year. Like at all. He's 6'4". He's a big body guy. They drafted him at seven overall. They obviously had big plans for him. And with Hunter Henry out of the fold, like. He's someone that got a massive bump when Henry went down, as did Melvin Gordon. Because I think Melvin Gordon, if he stays healthy, he's a lock to finish as like a top eight running back. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't disagree with any of the points there. Uh, Tyrell is like one of the elite, like horizontal field stretchers. Oh, yeah, he runs that sure. like stretch seam route mm-hmm. uh, better than anybody else. So mm-hmm. I want to see a lot more of that. The targets just need to flow his way, and they didn't really last year. Uh, moving on to a guy who we we you know, touched on, you got him a lot higher. I've got him at 14, Ben Roethlisberger, but that's basically because I'm projecting a game missed. You might want to do two. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in raw points, that's the only reason he ends up a little bit lower uh, for me. Um, But the weapons, they're so good. You talk about Antonio Brown, Bell, you know, they've been, you know, the top one or two at their position Mm -hmm. for each of the last, you know, four seasons. Um, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster exploded onto the scene. And while I don't think, you know, it's necessarily, I, I think Juju's being overdrafted in, in the short layman's term of it. Right. Yeah, for sure. He, he is um, because James Washington's better than Mark Davis Bryant. Um, yeah. And Vance McDonald is going to be better than Jesse James was last year. But the reason that I like Ben a little bit more this year than I have in years past is Randy Fitchner, the new offensive coordinator that took over for Todd Haley. Todd Haley didn't run much no huddle. Like, they, they did sometimes, but the, when they do, it's when Ben likes it. Like, he loves that because uh, the team is just built that way. Like, they should have been. Ben should be able to dive in from the goal line. He was mad multiple times where, the, like, they just didn't call a quarterback sneak when he could have on the goal line or for a first down, whatever the case. Fitchner's talk, he's talked about actually running a lot more no huddle, which – I mean, that's that that's good for everybody involved in the offense. So if Ben can stay healthy, I would put him in as a top eight quarterback for sure. Um, but the thing is, you kind of have to prepare for him missing a game or two because that's just the way it's been. And that's ultimately why he's finished as a top eight fantasy quarterback just twice in his 14 year career. Yeah, yeah. It's so overall uh, Jared Goff. I've got next number 15. I'm not I'm lower than the rest of Pyro on Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it, I, I love McVay. I love Todd Gurley. I love all the weapons they have around him. I just don't love Jared Goff. And I think, you know, what McVay did last year was protecting Jared Goff uh, and getting him easy reads, first and second look throws. Uh, Jared Goff was, you know, the top quarterback in the league at throwing to his first read. So that's something I feel like that's going to continue 
Um, why change what worked? I think you might get a little further along in projection um, and in looking at your receivers this year. But overall, it, it was just an offense that doesn't feel like it needs to throw the ball a ton, especially with this improved defense, you know, adding Ndamukong Sue and Akeem yeah. Tlaib and Marcus Peters and mm-hmm. fuck I'm surprised nobody on that team has went dream team yet. <laughs> yeah, that defense is going to be quite ridiculous turned around. And that's the thing. Sometimes things take continuity and it might not start out just to be the team that everybody expects it to be. But the thing is, guys, we saw Jared Goff perform at an extreme level last year. Like he did everything he was asked, like above efficiency on everything. And he still finishes just the QB 12. Like, think yeah. about that for a second. Like, I understand he only threw 477 times, but do you really think that with the defense that they've assembled and Todd Gurley behind, you know, behind Jared Goff, do you think they're really going to throw the ball 540 times? It's not going to happen. So you're going to need to him to keep up that level of efficiency, which isn't going to happen, uh, or you're going to need him to throw more, which probably isn't going to happen. You're gonna, like, he rushed for 51 yards last year. He, he's not getting it there. I just don't see it, man. Like, that's... That's why people talk to me about Brandon Cooks, and I know we're, I, that's a wide receiver conversation, but um, I, I don't see it. The offense is designed a certain way, and I think that Sean McVay will change things to keep you know keep defenses guessing because that's what good coordinators do. They change their offense and, and so they don't become stagnant, and you can like basically anticipate what they're going to do. But again, you're not taking touches away from Todd Gurley. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, Marcus Mariota ends up as the 16th quarterback in our, uh, you know, pyro wide uh rankings i'm a little bit higher than that i want to be even higher but there's a lot of projection that goes into marcus Mariota. we talk about you know hasn't played a 16 game season we've never seen what he looks like in a pass first offense uh you know the touchdown to interception ratio took a giant plummet last season even though he protects the ball well in the red zone it hasn't necessarily worked to big touchdown numbers. What do you expect from Marcus Mariota? And we don't even know if it's going to be a pass first offense this year either. Like when you think about it, like the fact they had Derrick Henry on the roster and then they felt the need to go out and spend money on Deion Lewis. They've upgraded the offensive line. They've continued to build that throughout the draft. They built up the defense. Their defense started getting better towards the end of last year and they've added to it with Malcolm Butler this offseason and a few other pieces in the draft. So I don't know if this is the team that you know, you were obviously going to see a different team. Mike Vrabel did the right thing by hiring Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur, we don't know how he's going to call an offense because it was Sean McVay's offense last year. That, that's basically why Matt LaFleur made the, 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 the lateral move to go over to the Titans because he wanted to call the plays. So he's going to have that ability. I think Mike Vrabel did it right in hiring someone like that that was coming out from McVay. Hopefully he could be competent enough to, to call this offense. So Mariota, I, I just don't think that he's as good a quarterback as people think he is. I, I mean, I think he's a solid quarterback. I think it's like the type of passer that Jared Goff or Matt Ryan is. I feel like he's in that territory as, as far as a passer. He's upgraded in terms of rushing, but you mentioned it. We're, we're anticipating some breakouts here. We're anticipating Taewon Taylor to step forward and fill that Eric Decker role. We're anticipating Corey Davis to take a huge step forward, and I love Corey Davis. He's Brandon Marshall 2.0. It's going to happen, but Delaney Walker's getting a little bit older. Deion Lewis, again, Derrick Henry, are they going to go a little run heavy? I have my concerns, but I think that he's being drafted right where he should be, where it's like you have room for equity, but I think you're drafting him right around where his floor should be. Yeah, I mean, this definitely could be a floor pick, uh, and he has such you know upside from touchdown rate. Uh, he's got that upside you know, from being uh, a rusher. I mean, 
he's just got all these things that if they all melded together, he could easily put together a top five season, especially if they put together an offense that, you know, slants a little bit towards the pass heavy away from exotic smash mouth, but it does take the projection to get there. Uh, another guy who takes the projection to get there. We're going to talk about next Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he played one game last season. He looked great doing it. He lit up the preseason. He's got all the weapons around him. He's got Tyree kill. He's got Sammy Watkins. He's got Travis Kelsey. He's got Kareem hunt. I don't care who, what the depth is that like you, you tell me those four players, I'm pretty locked in with you. But it's Andy Reid. He runs a slower-paced offense, and while it is pass-first, it's still pass-first on a very sort of slow offense. We don't know if they're going to go with more of a, hey, let's hand the ball off to Kareem Hunt a little bit more than we would normally if we still had Alex Smith. Let's hand the ball off a little bit more. Or if they're going to go a little more air raid, you know, Texas Tech-style offense, and just let the guy make mistakes let him go no huddle. Let him get a lot of plays under his belt. Let him get a lot of pass attempts. So you can have two ends, ends of the spectrum in projection models here. And I think that's one main thing is we have no idea where that maybe meshes. I'm with you. Um, that I think there's a lot of expectations being placed on Mahomes, and unfairly so. Uh, he's played one game. <laughs> one game in the NFL. Now, his depth chart is ridiculous, and another reason to love him is the fact that the defense in Kansas City has they've lost a lot of players. Like, a lot of players. Derek Johnson has gone. Uh, Benny Logan on the defensive side of the like on the, on the uh, defensive line. Uh, obviously, trading away. Marcus Peters was a big thing. Tom Bahali released like this. This defense is going to look completely different. It's not going to be the defense that you remember uh, over the last five years where they were like a top 10 fantasy defense. It's not They're a team That's going to give up a lot of points. So that's the part where you have to like about Mahomes. I don't think they're going to be able to be as slow paced as Reed has been over the last few years, because I don't think they've even reached a thousand plays over the last three years uh, mm-hmm. under Alex Smith. But Andy Reed is a chameleon coach. And I say that because he, he will change his offense based on the talent that he has. And getting Sammy Watkins helps the, the offense become a little bit more diverse. I think that he's a better receiver than Tyreek Hill uh, in terms of full skill set. Not going to sit. Not I'm not going to tell you he's going to perform better in year one in this offense because I don't have him ranked that way. But I think Sammy Watkins is better than people think. Yeah. Um, but Patrick Mahomes, he's still a rookie guy. Like he's he's essentially a rookie quarterback. Yeah, he, uh, he's someone that I compare to Jay Cutler. He's got so much physical ability um, where it's like it's got to be reined in and he's got it. And I love the fact that they had him sit on the bench for the first year. I love that. Uh, and, I, and you know, easing him in here, that's fine. But expecting him to produce two top 30 receivers, a top two tight end, a top eight running back. I think it's asking too much of him. I have him at number 16 and I'm, I, I would be OK with taking him. Uh, with someone there, but he does have a tough start to his schedule, though, too. I think he plays the Chargers week one. So people might get a yeah. sour taste in their mouth if they do draft him right around that 15 range, and they might drop him after the first week. I can see that. Uh, I agree with a lot of your points. I mean, I feel like you're a man after my heart talking up Sammy Watkins and yeah. comparing Patrick Mahomes to Jay Cutler. Like, that was my comp coming out of the draft. All the physical tools, all the arm can move in the pocket, can move outside of the pocket. Mm-hmm. But hey, this guy will make some head scratching throws from time Absolutely. to time because he trusts his arm too much. Yep. Uh, a guy who won't make head scratching throws because he doesn't really trust his arm, Dak Prescott. He's my next quarterback. 
I don't trust the Cowboys organization as a whole. <laughs> Dak Prescott, I like him as a quarterback. I actually think he's better than people think. Um, but, you know, I, them not even willing to admit that Michael Gallup needs to be in the starting lineup day one concerns me. If Michael Gallup's there day one, I'm going to move Dak up my rankings. Right now I have him actually at number 2021. 20, that's where I'm teetering with him at. So I'm down on Dak. And that's that, that's coming from someone who actually likes his skill set. But this mm-hmm. team is just bad. Like they're a bad team, and they're 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 poorly run. Getting rid of Des Bryant the way they did, when they did, it, it's disgraceful. Um, for anybody that says Des is done, ask Dak Prescott if he wants Des if he wants Des back. He's not done. Um, but the thing is, going to, circling back, I think Des Bryant should sign with the Packers. I don't want him to as a Bears fan. Um, but Des Bryant yeah. with Aaron Rodgers and that back shoulder throw, it, it, it's game over. Um, but yeah, Dak, I have my concerns about the team as a whole, but even considering last year, how, how people consider how bad he played in quotes, he still finished as the number 11 fantasy quarterback. I mean, so it, I'm probably being a little harsh on him here, but I have some higher expectations for, for someone like Mitch Trubisky. Yeah. I mean, Dak was on fire to start the season. He had five straight top 12 weeks to open up the season. Um, and then you know, things just started happening. He's got 30-point games in his game possibilities. Yep. Uh, the rushing uh, is there. It gives you that, you know, three- to four-point floor on a weekly basis, and he provides, you know, just enough rushing touchdowns that's going to give him a nice floor. Like, I, I just don't want – like, he's one of those guys I don't really want in my starting lineup on the weekly basis, but I think he's going to finish, you know, probably higher than where I have him ranked. Mm-hmm. Um and that reflects a lot of it. Like, I don't really want him in my lineup. Um, but I, I think he's going to have a pretty good fantasy finish when all is said and done. So, Mike, I think we're getting close to wrapping up, man. I, I've got, like, three more quarterbacks I want to talk to you about. Yeah. We'll end it off on the Chicago guy himself and show 312, Mitch <laughs> Trubisky. Before we do that, let's get to Derek Carr. Oh man, I have him down at 24. Like I, I would, <laughs> I might take Blake Bortles before I took Derek Carr and that's saying something. Um, I don't have faith in what the Raiders have done. Like uh, the moves that they've, they've made don't really make sense to me. Jordy Nelson getting rid of Michael Crabtree, who, who has chemistry with Derek Carr has played extremely well with him since he ever, ever since he came to Oakland, letting him go so that you could sign Jordy Nelson, a guy who has shown signs of decline more than Michael Crabtree has. Then going out and trading for Martavis Bryant, who may or may not be suspended, I think it helps actually. If if Martavis is, is not suspended, if that if that all turns out to be fake, it's better for Derek Carr because Jordy Nelson will be able to play the slot at that point, and that's that's huge yeah. because if you're going to ask Jordy Nelson to play on the perimeter and then stick you know Seth Roberts or Ryan Switzer in the slot, you're asking for problems. Um, but if Martavis is on the perimeter with Amari and you have Jordy in the slot, I think it'll be okay. But I don't know. Carr is just someone that he finished last year in nine of 15 games. He finished with fewer than 14 fantasy points. He's not someone that I want to draft. He's a streamer at best. And in two quarterback leagues, I don't even know if you want that kind of floor. That's what I'm saying. Like, why not go with someone like maybe Dak Prescott that I I would rather have Dak because at least, you know, you're going to get a floor with Dak because he can run the ball. Derek Carr's not going to do that. We don't know if his back injury is going to affect him for the rest of the career. We have no idea, but yeah, Derek Carr, I'm I'm down on. Yeah, Derek Carr uh, basically had three top 12 weeks last season in 15 games played. Uh, one real standout week where he passed for 417 yards. Yeah, that, game. It, yeah it took him 52 attempts to do so. <laughs> um, you know, 
there's been a lot of talk about Gruden this offseason and how he's watched so many different teams. It's going to be, you know, great. But that weekly upside, he had as many top 12 weeks as fucking Jay Cutler. Like, <laughs> it's not really there. You talked about the downside. Like, he's going to accumulate points because he's not getting replaced as a $100 million man. Yeah. Um, but it's just not somebody I'm really striving for in fantasy. I'd much rather have Alex Smith. Um, and I, I do agree with you about, you know, Eli Manning. Yeah. Uh, so l- let's talk some Alex Smith because you, you have him high in projections. He projects highly in my model as well. I, I think that a lot of that to do is, you know, no matter where Alex Smith has been, he's always been efficient. And now you put him in more of a pass first, higher paced offense. Yep. And you can see his pass attempts sort of skyrocket to, you know, maybe even heights he didn't even reach last year when he finished as the number three quarterback. And then, yeah, we expect, you know, some of those efficiency numbers to come down from last season. Mm-hmm. But the weapons, you know, he has, if Jordan Reed could stay healthy, they've got a good set of weapons for him to play with. They absolutely do. And Alex Smith is someone that I, I, I critiqued really early in his career, that, like just that he that he checked down too much, that he never took any chances. And, you know, I think last year he, he took a major step forward. And I actually believe that Alex Smith, I, and I'm, I'm on record as saying this, I'm on a podcast, Alex Smith should have had MVP consideration last year. Alex Smith was that damn good. And I watched every single game he played. Um, so, so much to the fact that I actually had no issue with what the Redskins did to get Alex Smith. Because if Jay Gruden believes that he's actually going to be an upgrade over Kirk Cousins, I, more power to him, right? You know, they were going to lose Cousins anyways. But... Smith, so since 2011, Smith has thrown 132 touchdowns and 43 interceptions. In that period, there's just two quarterbacks who have a better touchdown-to-interception ratio than him, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, two of the best quarterbacks of all time, if not the two best quarterbacks of all time. If you do that over a seven-year period, you are not a mediocre quarterback. You are, you are very good. Now, granted, he was somewhat of a game manager, but last year he showed you with the talent that he had on the roster, he was able to make more of it. Like, let's go back to before Tyreek Hill was there. Who did he have throwing to? Like, who was he throwing to? Like, go back to San Francisco. He played with elite defenses in both San Francisco and in Kansas City. They didn't ask much of him. He was averaging like 500 pass attempts with Andy Reid. Going to Jay Gruden, he's going to be probably up around that 550, 560, 570 mark, which is it's going to be massive for Smith and you know, the weapons there, Josh Doxson could be a red zone guy. I think Jamison Crowder's his, the ones he's going to latch onto as is Jamison Crowder or as is Jordan Reed. Verdon Davis played with him before. So they have some chemistry there. Paul Richardson's supposed to be the field stretcher. When I went through my first set of projections, I had Alex Smith. He came in at number eight and I was like, this is, this can't be right. Like I need to go back and adjust it. So I was, (laughs) no, I I kid you not. I adjusted my, my projections and I, I even went more, even more conservative with it. He ended up at number 11, and I was like, okay, I, I, I am sold. I'm, I'm going forward with Alex Smith, and if you can get him in like a two-quarterback league as your second quarterback, you're set. Like, seriously, don't even worry about it. Yeah. Uh, so where is your final rank for Alex Smith? Is it 11? I have him at 11 right now, <laughs> yeah. I, I am, like I said, I'm high on him. Um, I I love I, – I don't know. I tried to temper the expectation and uh, ended up with him at 11, so – yeah, uh, I, I did some nerfing on Alex Smith myself. So um, let's talk about, you know, the Chicago quarterback. Uh, it is episode 312, so it seems like a fitting end to get to Mitchell Trubisky. Um, he's my 21st ranked uh, quarterback. Uh, 
he's a guy who people are sort of projecting a lot on as well because there's a change in the offense. There's a change at wide receiver. There's a change at tight end. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a change at head coach, offensive coordinator, offensive line coach. Like everything around this guy has changed. And as a fan, like I love the moves because I want progressive offense. I want progressive minds who are going to attack in different ways, use a variety of different formations, uh, use a variety of different tempos, um, you know, use a lot of the shotgun that Mitchell Trubisky, you know, played almost exclusively under at Mm -hmm. North Carolina. I think those things are all pluses for him, but you know, projecting them to be the next Los Angeles Rams and, you know, take a step forward from one of the doormats of the league to one of the best teams in the league is a little far-fetched for me, even though I expect them to take a major uh, pace of play increase. What do you think? So I um, I am all about the coaching matters, and I think people, if you're listening, you've probably gathered that throughout this, um, and coaching absolutely matters. And Chicago, it's so weird, right? Like, so we live in Chicago. By the way, 312 is an area code in Chicago. That's why 312 is, it makes sense. But uh, yeah, uh, so <laughs> no, because I, I started thinking, I'm like, people from outside of Chicago probably don't know, understand what the 312 thing means, <laughs> but there's a beer 312. It's obviously from Chicago too. So, um, but so John Fox, when the Bears hired him, I hated it. I really did. Uh, he was a losing coach throughout his career without Peyton Manning. So basically, if he didn't have Peyton Manning on his roster, he was a sub 500 head coach. Yet some people, for whatever reason, believe that he was a good coach. I, I was not one of those people. I never liked to hire. I hated it. As a matter of fact, I never, ever in my life have been ridiculed for, for being a Bears homer this year, this offseason, because you know what? My friends, my family throughout my entire life, they've called me a Bears hater. Because I'm always so damn hard on them. Because I, I, I see the team every single week and I can watch them closer than anybody else. That's why I love talking to other analysts that are from, you know, that have a favorite team that they live and they can see closely. The news is always on by them. You know, there's so many things that they're in tune with. But I like talking to those people. And me, I am not a Bears homer at all. Like, as a matter of fact, I, I, I own as few Bears as possible. Matt Forte is the only one that I've ever really targeted heavily. Uh, but... Mitch Trubisky is is a steal in fantasy football right now. And I say that because the rushing ability is there. Not many people know this, but Jimmy Garoppolo, when he started in week 13 through week 17, everybody said he had a great finish to the season, correct? Mitch Trubisky had just as many 18-point fantasy games as as Jimmy Garoppolo did over those last uh, five weeks. Nobody knows that because nobody cared about Mitch Trubisky. Nobody cared because he had Josh Bellamy, uh, Deont- uh, Deontay Thompson. He had Kendall Wright coming on only in three wide receiver sets because that's what John Fox does. He had Deion Sims as a starting tight end. Like, what do you expect to happen with John Fox as your coach and those guys catching passes? Well, Mitch Trubisky ran for 250 yards, a couple touchdowns. So he's got mobility. It's very underrated. Like, he was one of the best athletes in his class, in the draft class. He, he excels out of the shotgun, which you mentioned. The offense this year is going to shift towards more of a shotgun-heavy offense. With the weapons that they've provided for him, there is lit- literally zero reason why he cannot produce top 18 fantasy numbers this year. Like, you look at Mariota last year throwing 13 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, running for 300 yards. He finishes the number 18 quarterback. Mitch Trubisky did wonders in terms like PFF actually graded Mitch Trubisky as their number one rookie quarterback last year over Deshaun Watson, by the way, based on what they saw on film and what he did. And I can tell you by watching every Mitch Trubisky game that there is talent there. Like he, he's not going to be Aaron Rodgers. He's never going to be that, 
Like, I think you're looking at a ceiling of someone like Kirk Cousins. I think that's the ceiling for Mitch Trubisky, but he has more mobility. And when you're talking about fantasy quarterbacks, as we've talked about with Dak Prescott, as we've talked about even with me, with Deshaun Watson, who I'm not completely sold on, Cam Newton, who I don't like as a quarterback, but I am at number three. Mobility matters as a fantasy quarterback, and Mitch has it. And there's enough weapons in this offense where he's not going to have to really worry about eight-man fronts because when you have Allen Robinson, you have Anthony Miller, you have Trey Burton, you have Taylor Gabriel supposed to stretch the field. I mean, if Kevin White can come on and, and be something great, but I'm not relying on him. He may be cut, uh, but there's just there's too much hope here. And Matt Nagy, Nagy whatever you want to say, uh, I do believe that he is one of those next generation offensive minds like a Sean McVay. He may not be on that level, but there are so many parallels to what the Bears have done and what the Rams have done. And it's all about it's, it keeps going back. Coaching absolutely matters. Yep, yep. I, I agree with you on a lot of points there. I think that is a great way to wrap up the show. And I thank you for joining uh, me tonight. And I hope the listeners out there enjoy the insights that Mike Taglieri was able to provide from uh, Fantasy Pros. Uh, Fantasy Pros does a lot of great things um, in terms of for experts, you know, tracking your accuracy. But they also provide a lot of great content on their own. They're, they've got you know a great newsbreaker team, and there's just a lot of data on their site. If you can mine that, that's nice and fun for uh, guys who are into those sort of things. Is there anything else you want to add about your offering? Oh no, man! Like uh, uh, follow me on Twitter at Mike Taglier NFL. Uh, that's where you know I try and post my, all my articles that I do. And right now in the off season, I've been doing. Uh, at least three articles a week and uh, it'll be going up to five articles a week pretty soon. We're doing four podcasts a week starting next week. So we've been really busy. Um, like we just, I, I live, I breathe this stuff. Like it, it is my passion. So if you ever have a question, reach out. Um, I'm typically able to respond a lot more in the off season than I am in season uh, because yeah. I read a piece called the primer uh, where I write, it's usually about 25,000 words where I cover every single player from every single game, every single week. Yeah, that's a big one to read, and it takes uh, an hour, even if you try and break it up over multiple. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, again, thanks, Mike. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at PyroStag. That's P-Y-R-O-S-T-A-G. Uh, follow the main Pyromaniac account at P-Y-R-O-M-A-N, the number one AC. Listen, rate, subscribe to the podcast, and thank you all for listening. Hope you had a great time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.